Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin, and your refusal has cost all of us. So please do the right thing. Refusal to get the vaccine that he demands that you get. What if your refusal is because you have natural immunity? Are you allowed to refuse then? There are questions unanswered by the President of the United States. But the one question that we do have the answer to, whether or not Joe Biden is in his heart a tyrannical guy, the answer is yes. He doesn't believe in the rule of law. He believes in power and absolute power and that nobody is allowed to question his authority. Why do you think he always gets so aggressive? Why do you think he's always so country club thuggish? He's always been in a position of power and the ability to utilize his power. And now as president of the United States, my gosh. He's just off to the races. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. That speech yesterday, his six-prong approach on COVID was frightening. Because as I have discussed it here, and you have been part of it, We are not discussing mandates. We're discussing America or not. The idea that the vaccine might be good and help you with symptoms regarding COVID, I believe that's true. I think the data shows that. Force? As if somehow we're going to save people? The vaccine, I should say the virus still spreads regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not. Now we want employers to force vaccines onto their employees, not the federal government doing it themselves, but by creating rules through OSHA and the Labor Department, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, via the Labor Department, creating rules that force the vaccination and put the burden onto the employer. Remember how weak these people are. Cedric Richmond talking on CNN, special advisor to the president, proving the point. Cedric, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to see you. The Biden administration isn't requiring proof of vaccinations. That's up to individual agencies and businesses. Can we, do you think we can trust people's words? I mean, why not require some proof here? Well, we're going to leave that to the businesses to decide. And we, we've put the burden on the businesses, if you have 100 or more employees, to get your employees vaccinated or to implement a rigorous testing regime. So not only does the Biden administration believe that the American people should not have the right to say no, the Biden administration is going to decide that the businesses will suffer because the government isn't able to do this, yet the government seems to be trying to do this. Biden's decision to quote one, To demand American workers get vaccinated or risk losing their jobs is what one would expect of dictators in a banana republic. 
In Indiana, we do not rule by fiat, and I will not allow the president to destroy our guaranteed freedoms and our economy at the same time. That comes from the Indiana Attorney General, Todd Rokita. He joins us right now. And, sir, before we get into the legality here and maybe positions that you're taking, conversations with other attorneys general, uh, you served in Congress. You served as the former Secretary of State in the state of Indiana. You watch Joe Biden yesterday. What is your take on what he said? Well, you know, he's taken advantage, Tony, you know, thanks for having me on. He's taken advantage of what Congress has done for decades now, not just this Congress, but past ones. And the Congress has ceded its lawmaking authority over time to these unelected bureaucrats in these ever-growing agencies. And, and we've slowly put the noose around our own neck, and now Biden's cinching it up. This is fiat. This is unelected people. Yes, Joe Biden's elected president, but these, this OSHA, this Department of Labor, uh, Medicaid, uh, the Department of Education, all the instrumentalities he's using is through authority on its face, through authority that's been ceded to the executive branch over time. And, and no, there's ultimately no cure for this other than Congress, men and women, getting off their butts and having the, the guts to take back that authority. I did it in Congress, fr frankly. I'm not trying to be braggadocio about it, but there's a bill uh, that I wrote and passed where the relevant agency said, um, we're going to write rules about this, or we were, but the bill was written so specifically there's nothing to write a rule about. And that's a lesson I learned uh, from the late uh, Justice Scalia. Uh, he taught, these aren't my words, he taught me this. And, and that's what you're going to need to ultimately solve this problem, Tony. So now let's, let, let's, let's take a step back. I want to make sure – let's go through it and make sure I understand what we're saying here. First, we have the idea that Joe Biden is going to use the Department of Labor and OSHA to write this emergency rule that would force the businesses to require the vaccines or they get fined $14,000 and a current, one could assume, even uh, per day. Does OSHA, in your view as Attorney General of Indiana, have the ability to create that kind of rule? That, that's exactly the kind of analysis that my team and I are doing. I'm talking with other attorneys general right now. I will fight uh, like another governor said from another state to the gates of hell on that issue. Uh, whether or not we're going to win, that's a whole different game. You know, you, you've seen it yourself. We talked before about the state of the judiciary, not only in this country, but in this state. Uh, sometimes. So uh, ultimately, a court would decide that. But no, I'm going to fight on that. First of all, this is not an emergency. OSHA was meant, when they say emergency rulemaking, again, with, to the extent we need to have it, which I would argue strongly against because of what I said in my first answer to you. But that's for like when a, a toxic spill or something occurs at a business or uh, there's a or, or there's an instrumentality across a certain sector or industry where you have to protect immediately have to protect a workforce from toxic um, substances or or some, or some other dangerous thing the toxic substance the dangerous thing is no surprise here it's the virus it's the china virus it's been going on for two years now and, and, and so they're misapplying the emergency power that Congress gave them. Talking to the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita. 
that that is an interesting take that as an as an emergency rule this doesn't fit the level of emergency that's an argument you make so now does that go to the supreme court and you say hey this is not an emergency they don't get to make this rule or is it based on something maybe a little larger yeah, it could be a large. I mean, I'm just threw out an example. I mean, so we're, we're we're less than 24 hours into this, Tony. But it's the kind of it's a great example of the kind of discussions we're privately having, not only with my attorneys here at the attorney general's office, but with other attorneys general. You know, another option is to you know look at our Medicaid uh, statutes. That's a program, federal program that the state um, that the state runs. What avenues there? He's using the Medicaid dollars. He's threatening those, holding back those from our healthcare system, which just about every part of our healthcare system takes. So, way too early to say what's going to the Supreme Court or what's not. Again, being less than 24 hours into that, but it's the kind of aggressiveness I think in the fight we need to take uh, to these issues now. So. Now let's get into the idea of agencies. You talked about your time in Congress and, and, and addressing this. This is where I think people are starting to realize that these agencies are really a fourth branch of, of government, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're not elected. They're not right. accountable to the people. The people have no way of, of fighting back. If you want a, a, a feeling of the first time for many Americans, it's almost a feeling of true helplessness and non-Americanism. It is in this idea. Talk to me about your experiences with this power that the, the, this, these bureaucratic agencies have, and how exactly is that removed? Like I said, it's very difficult. Once, you, once Congress cedes the lawmaking authority, it's very difficult to get it back. And the way they do this is they write a bill, and they get lazy and sloppy, and they have time pressures. So they literally say almost in every piece of legislation, uh, hey, we're going to let the X, Y, and Z agency uh, uh, promulgate rules around this so that industry knows what to do. Now, over time, all these industries – so while this – while you're right, for many Americans, this is the first time government has intruded this badly. But for anyone who's part of a management team of any kind of employer – there's regulations all over us, whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in manufacturing, whether it's in tiddlywinks. The federal government and following close behind the state government gets in and starts promulgating all these rules and things you have to do and hoops you have to jump through. And pretty soon you're left and you're conditioned and habitually go, instead of thinking on your own two feet like an individual person with personal responsibilities and, and liberties, you're thinking, oh, my God, before I think for myself, i got to go check and see what the rule is. And and over time again, Tony, you know, it's, it's, it's very um, corrosive in the sense and debilitating because we lose our, 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 our ability to judge and think for ourselves. And, you know, that's how you get to a dictatorship, a banana republic, what have you. So you have subjects. You don't have citizens. So now so here you are. I didn't answer your question. I did, so to get it back, I mean, there's – there's um, there, there's some things you can do at the beginning of a, con- a Congress uh, to get some some things back. Uh, David McIntosh from Indiana was instrumental in putting some of that in. But ultimately, it's legislators bucking up and taking their lawmaking authority back because these rules are laws. It's the same difference. They affect people and their and their behavior and what they're allowed to do and not do. And it's more than just this. It's more than just OSHA, more than just the Department of Labor. I think that's what the the realization is, how many of these things affect us 
everywhere in yeah. everything that we do. So as you, you're now going through it, you don't quite yet have an, an answer for what the response is. You have heard other governors discuss the fact they're going to fight it. There is a statement out from Governor Eric Holcomb uh, of Indiana uh, saying that he thinks that uh, Biden is engaged in a bridge too far. Has there been any conversations between you and the governor about saying, hey, what are we going to do to fight this? Uh, no, not yet. We've been talking with, you know, we represent him and his agencies. So we've had a couple conversations, r- frankly, where the rubber meets the road. And that's at, you know, these different agencies here at the state level that are counterparts to this, the, the, to the federal agencies like Department of Labor and OSHA and, and so on. And then uh, we have jurisdiction here at the Attorney General's office to fight uh, Medicaid fraud directly. In fact, we have criminal authority in that area. So we're looking at ways uh, that we can just bring that that Medicaid fight right to them. And may, you know, I'm not saying there is or isn't one. I mean, it's, it's too early to say. Uh, but my point is, is that we are fighting, um, uh, and that's my commitment. It's not me saying, like others are probably saying, some are saying, oh, that's awful, that's terrible. I never meant for that to be the role of the government. And so what happens? Their thumbs. I mean, you gotta you gotta push everybody, and I'm calling for unity here to go strong against this federal overreach. Finally, and and we'll see. I'll be leading so the effort. What do you say to businesses that have more than 100 employees who are now saying to themselves, "Wait, am I going to have to tell everybody to get vaccinated? Do I have to check this? How do I do? I'm going to be responsible if they're lying. It's going to be fourteen thousand dollars in occurrence." What are you saying to Hoosier-based, Indiana-based businesses right now who are now listening to what Joe Biden said and are like, what in the world do I do here? Well, you're going to have to wait for their – see, that's the other issue. We don't even have – so we have Biden being the talking head, uh, frankly, barely coherent. But he got the message out yesterday, that's for sure. Um, But we don't have his rule. We don't have OSHA's rule. We don't have what this emergency – uh, ruling is going to be all about. So it's hard to react to that right now until we understand what he exactly is saying and how it's gonna, he's going to take it, uh, take it up. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, private businesses, which, you know, I, in my role as attorney general, I'm not going to be defending private businesses. It's, it's not what taxpayers pay me to do, but I do defend the state. I do dep- defend taxpayers generally and citizens generally. And so that's the angle I'm going to take. So, Assuming that this rule says that state employees are covered, and they should be, their OSHA's cover covers them in any other way, that would be my an, an entry for an attorney general to get in because um, I would be fighting for uh, an arm of the state, you know, the, the employees who work in those agencies. So, you know, that's another example of how we may get involved. But as to private businesses, follow the law, and until overturned, those emergency rules coming out are going to be the law and get right the right congressmen and women in Congress. That right there, Todd Rokita, the attorney general of the state of Indiana, we're going to be following up on this as we start seeing these regulations uh, come forth. Uh, I assume there's going to be some uh, preemptive challenges uh, that take place as well. We will uh, check with you as they happen. The attorney general of Indiana, Todd Rokita. I appreciate the time. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. A big loss for Apple. 
This is a big loss for Apple. This is a lawsuit that's been going on between Apple and Epic Games. Epic makes Fortnite. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. So what a judge decided was that Epic Games has the right to sell into their game even though it's on the App Store through Apple. So usually how it goes is um, you, you, you've you got this situation where, hey, you want to upgrade? Well, it costs this, it costs that, it goes through the App Store. And what Epic said is, well, we want it to go through us and then add it to the game. Why does it have to go through the App Store? Why do they get to take 30%? And Apple said, it's our playground. You either play or you get out. Well, they said, no. This is, uh, this ain't going to work. So they sued. So the App Store got hit with the injunction. And it raises now the reality, not even the possibility, that developers could direct users to their websites to get additional digital content. App Store sales for Apple were an estimated $64 billion in 2020. This is a fascinating, fascinating development. Because what I'm asking is, can... I, I guess I can't create something that goes in the game because I don't know the code of the game. But could someone strike a deal with Epic to create add-ons and then sell them separately? Does it create other opportunities there? For others, but most importantly, it is your game. Apple doesn't get to have a piece of everything you do in the game. They sell the game. I do agree with that. And I actually think for Apple, it's a super bad look. I don't think they should have gone down this road to try and keep people out of engaging their own selling of of, of, of other content, if you will. If the app developer wants to create something and sell something, Apple should have asked themselves, look, we, we get where we want the money, but maybe 30% isn't the number. Maybe 12% is the number. Maybe we can get everyone to agree with 12%. That's fair. Everyone will be cool with that and fine with that. And it won't be worth the hassle to fight. 30% it was worth the hassle to fight. Sometimes you got to cut your losses and, 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 and choose. Apple stock is down 2%. I don't think it's going to hurt them long term. It's Apple, after all. Going back to Joe Biden and this madness, because we're all covering it, because it's so important. What Joe Biden said was horrific. I checked in with Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson on what was really being said by Joe Biden in this horror statement yesterday of forced vaccines. I've got that coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So is all this nothing more than distraction? President Biden failed in Afghanistan, left Americans behind. And so now we have to force mask mandates. It's a distraction from Afghanistan. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. I've had a series of people reach out to me and say, well, you called it, Tony. You knew that he was going to try and do it. You knew he was going to try and, and, and move the ball. You said they would do it. Boom, he did it. What if I told you that this wasn't it? 
What if I told you that this wasn't it? There is no doubt that everything the administration is trying is to change focus from leaving Americans as hostages. Everything. But this desire to engage mandates through the Department of Labor, through OSHA, $14,000 fines per occurrence, putting it all on business owners to force vaccinations. This wasn't specific to the idea of moving uh, people's attention, but rather this was always a desire because the power-hungry always want power, and only now were they able to feel comfortable in unleashing it. Not because they needed to change things, but because someone said to them, okay, it's go time. Well, okay, we got this approval. Okay, we figured this one out. Well, now is the right moment. Not because of Afghanistan. It would have happened regardless. Now, maybe that's just a bit of naivete on my part. But when we talk about power-hungry people, I mean, this is Cedric Richardson. And he, a former congressman, Sorry, I said Richardson, Cedric Richmond, I apologize. Former congressman from Louisiana talking to Don Lemon. You want to talk about power hungry? Cedric, we know these governors won't help. They're already slamming the new rules. So what are you going to do about it? The one thing I admire about this president is the fact that we're always going to put people above politics and we're going to fight for those who really need our help. And so it's unfortunate that we have so many governors that are using vaccinations and mask requirements as a political uh, game. But our purpose is to save lives, and we will do anything and everything under our control to make sure that we protect uh, our citizens, especially those children who cannot get a vaccination yet. And so we have to do everything we can to make sure adults do it. And those governors that stand in the way, I think it was very clear from the president's tone today, that uh, he will run over them. And it is important, and it's not for political purposes. It's to save the lives of American people. And so we won't let one or two individuals stand in the way. We will always err on the side of protecting American people. We'll err on the side of saying screw rights and screw the elected uh, representatives of the states. Boom. We'll just run right over them. Does that sound like America to you? Does that sound like the American ethos? Does that sound like the American way? Does any of that sound rational to you? He's proud of that. So if you have any question as to whether or not the progressive left is radically power hungry and believes in complete and total control, well, there you go. Just like we've seen with infrastructure, get it through via reconciliation so you don't have to engage with the Republicans, you don't give them a say. Run right over the governors. It's power. Power-hungry madness. Meanwhile, one should ask whether or not what we're dealing with is not only constitutional in this mandate that Joe Biden wants to put forth, but how do you, how do you even respond to it? So earlier today, I had the chance to speak with Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson. 
William Jacobson joins us right now, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, Cornell Law Professor. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, first things first, you, you read, of course, what they put out before he speaks. You hear the president yesterday. You, the lawyer who has done this a great number of years, uh, what were your thoughts? What is truly astounding to me is how arrogant he was, how bullying he was. Uh, you know, he's not literally a dictator, but he certainly acted like he thought he was. He's running out of patience with the American people. I mean, the whole tone of it was nasty and bullying and authoritarian. Put aside whether it's legal or not. But he really, it really was, I can't think of, <laughs> now of course I'm sure there were worse more aggressive, um, you know, nastier speeches that a president has given. It really was quite astounding. You're you're not the only one to say that to you know the, the, these these lines. Are like, what else do you want? What else can I do for you? Like he's speaking in that kind of 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 whisper thing, and he also said, "Let me share this with everybody about patience." What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin, and your refusal has cost all of us. So please do the right thing. Well, his do the right thing is allow us to force you to get vaccinated. Now, I'm not an anti-vax person, uh, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. The question is, in doing this as a mandate through OSHA uh, and the Department of Labor, creating this as a regulation, an emergency regulation as opposed to a law, can the president do this? Can you force people to get vaccinated? And there are two, two issues there. Can a government... Uh, require vaccination. But then the real question is, can the federal government and can the president, through the equivalent of regulation and executive order, do it? And I think there's there's no question, or there is question, but there's strong precedent for states and localities being able to require vaccination. Uh, the smallpox vaccination, I think it was in 1920 or whatever the year was, um, in Massachusetts is you know the most famous case that people point to. But that's not necessarily without limit. But then it's a different question. Can the president of the United States just go on TV and announce every company with 100 or more employees is going to have to uh, require the employees to get vaccinated or we're going to fine you with $14,000 per violation? And that, I think, is, is a tougher pull because there, is, there are limits on the federal government. The federal government, um, under what authority is he doing it? Um, is it regulating commerce? Well, if they can force you to do that, then they can force you to do anything. And remember, the Obamacare law, which required people to purchase insurance, was found to be unconstitutional as a commerce clause matter, but was found to be, in a ridiculous opinion, um, part of the government's taxing authority. So the Obamacare decision, as it relates to this, because there's no argument here that this is taxing authority, uh, I think actually cuts against the federal government being able to do that. Doesn't mean a state can't do it. Doesn't mean a locality can't do it. So I think there's real questions. And then what they're trying to do, they're trying to shoehorn it into existing laws like OSHA. But even in you know the recent uh, opinion where they struck down 
the, or the, the uh, CDC uh, eviction moratorium, the majority of the court said it's ridiculous to think that an evic- controlling rental properties is within the power of the CDC under its existing regulations, that it was a, a stretch too far. And I think that that could be the finding here, that trying to claim this is occupational hazard, uh, a, a generalized uh, you know, uh, problem in the society that's not specific to a particular workplace is somehow falls under OSHA, then there are no limits. They can regulate anything that happens in a workplace. So I think that's, I think that's on the edge. I, I'm not going to predict how the courts will rule on that, but I think that's a pretty weak sort of way to force private businesses and tell them how to run their business. So I, I think it's I think it's highly questionable. I'm not prepared to say it is absolutely unconstitutional, but it's highly questionable. So we, we see this from this White House, and of course they did this on the evacuation, not the evacuation, the eviction moratorium, where he admitted, the president admitted, look, we might be able to get away with it for, for a couple of months. He knew it was a violation of his oath, and he did it anyway, and that seems to be what they're doing here. But I'm with you that there is a lot of, I can't believe I just heard this, and now how does it play out constitutionally? The what we just heard is is absolutely frightening. It was Stephanie Rule from MSNBC who pointed out that this vax mandate as an emergency workplace safety rule is the ultimate workaround for the federal government to require vaccination. She put that on Twitter, and Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, retweeted that. You're a lawyer. Does that help Biden's case, or does that hurt him tremendously? Well, I don't think what they tweeted will will make a difference legally, but it's a question of whether it is really trying to take a law that has no applicability and trying to invent a reason why you can regulate under it. And uh, I was just, you know, reading some other commentary this morning, and there's never been a federal vaccine mandate anything like this. I mean, this is truly unprecedented. So this is this is new territory we've never seen a federal power grab telling private employers how they have to run their businesses and uh, and i say that as somebody who's vaccinated i i recommend people get the vaccine but it's a very different thing to say you think people should do it uh, or recommend people inject something into themselves and to say that the president of the united states essentially acting alone can go on tv and mandate that 100, 100 million people get injected, uh, you know, and I think that it's one thing I haven't heard uh, much of, a little bit from the conservative side, but none from the usual suspects, is w- which population has the highest percentage of unvaccinated people? It's the black community. So what this is going to do, this is going to force, um, you know, minorities force blacks essentially to choose between getting vaccinated and their jobs and so you know this is in a sense uh if any other president had done this would be called racially discriminatory uh disproportionate impact all these other buzzwords that we often hear so this is really and what's even scarier is what is the limit if he can force you to take an injection if he can force your employer to force you to take an injection as, a, as the president of the United States, what is the limit on his power? And I think what we see is that there will be no limit. So before I let you go, I, I, I want to 
get into how you would approach this. We're, we're already hearing uh, states, uh, attorneys general, get into this uh, conversation. They're going to fight this. Governors like Christy Noem of South Dakota saying, see you in court, and, and, and others doing the same. You're the lawyer. You're representing the state of Indiana. What is your case? How, what is the case you're making to why this, this regulation from OSHA should not ha be allowed to stand? Simply that it's beyond the authority of the statutory authority, that there is no authority for the president or for OSHA to do this, that it is not an occupational safety matter. It doesn't fall under the regulations, and therefore they have no power to do it, just like the CDC had no power to man to mandate uh, evictions, even though the government claimed that was health related, uh, that, you know, that was within their power. So I, I think the first thing you need to do is focus on whether they have the authority, because if they have, don't have the authority, it doesn't matter whether it's constitutional or not. Uh, none of that matters. They can't do it. The OSHA, OSHA is not a, uh, you know, regulation for, you know, controlling every single thing a business does. And I don't think that this will fall under, you know, what relates to OSHA, because normally OSHA has to do with things that are work related. And, you know, what sort of materials are you using? Are you using a proper ladder? Do you have proper supervisors there? Do you have oxygen available? All those sort of things. Now they're saying that they're going to require that just to even hire somebody, they have to have had a medical treatment. That, I think, is a stretch. By the way, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. Another time we'll get into how these agencies can get eliminated from our lives. That's another conversation for another day. William Jacobson, LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you taking the time. For all that's going on with Biden, Afghanistan, the southern border, COVID, one cannot lose sight of the fact that it's 20 years ago that we were attacked by Al-Qaeda. And one should never lose the story. One should never, ever allow themselves to be so busy that they don't remind themselves, look at the photos, look at the videos, and as I do every year, engage the TikTok, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It was 7.59 a.m. when American Airlines Flight 11 left Boston's Logan International Airport en route for Los Angeles. 8.14 a.m., it was United Airlines Flight 175 taking off from Boston to L.A. as well. It was 8.19 a.m. when flight attendants aboard Flight 11 alerted ground personnel that the plane had been hijacked. It was 8.20 a.m., a minute later, when American Airlines Flight 77 took off from Dulles International Airport, heading to Los Angeles. It was at 8.24 when Mohammed Atta, one of the hijackers, made one of two accidental transmissions from Flight 11 to ground control. It was 8.40 a.m., 16 minutes later, that the Federal Aviation Administration alerted NORAD and the Northeast Air Defense Sector about the hijackings. Two fighter planes scrambled from Cape Cod's Otis Air National Guard base. They are not yet in the air when Flight 11 had crashed into the North Tower. 
it's a minute later when United Airlines Flight 93 takes off from Newark International Airport headed to San Francisco. It was scheduled to depart at 8 a.m. around when the other hijackings flights took place. It's at 8.46 when airline, United, American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower. It is 8.50 a.m. when the White House Chief of Staff Andrew Card alerted President Bush while he was speaking to students in Sarasota, Florida. It's 9.03 a.m. when United Airlines Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower. Five minutes later, the FAA banned all takeoffs of flights going to New York City or through the airspace. 9.21 when the Port Authority closed all the bridges and the tunnels. It was 9.37 a.m. when hijackers aboard Flight 77 crashed the plane into the Pentagon. And it was 10.07 a.m. when the passengers on Flight 93 learned about the other attacks in New York and Washington, D.C. and tried to take back the plane, crashing in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And as I have said before, saved my life, living in D.C. as I did. You got to know the story. You got to know the TikTok. You got to remember. You got to tell your friends. You got to tell your kids. 9-11 happened, and it is not something to forget. We will not. I'm Tony Katz.